Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Stuff Said. I'm your host, Greg Shegel, and this is the show where I talk to people in the world of comics, cartooning, and beyond. Today's show, however, is not a typical show. Today is a very special show for two reasons. The first reason is this episode commemorates the first year of Stuff Said. We've been doing this for a year now, and I figured it was it was worth chiming in with this special show and saying, hey, happy birthday slash anniversary to the show. I'm not entirely sure. It, there's no real birthday, right? It wasn't born. It was created. I guess anniversary is the right word for it. I, uh, You know what? Tweet me. That's right. I said tweet me because stuff said is now on Twitter. The application for a Twitter account finally came through. I don't know why it took so long. I think it might have gotten lost in the shuffle. Although I did have to do three phone interviews, which was weird. Stuff Said's now on Twitter. Stuff Said Show is the handle. At Stuff Said Show. Follow, and you'll hear... You won't hear. You'll read things that come from me about the show. And about comics and cartooning. And things related to that. Basically, uh, it's an extension of the show. So I'll be talking about the things that, that we talk about on this show. In honor of the, the first year, I sort of wanted to just talk a little bit about the show. When I first started doing the show, when I first conceived of the show, the idea was was to create a show, the kind of show I wanted to listen to. You know, there there are a lot of good interview slash conversation shows out there. And, and I listen to those shows and think, man, these people they're talking to are so interesting and their stories are so interesting. And then I think, I know interesting people. What we do is interesting. How come nobody, uh, how come there's not a show uh, with us? You know, a show with, with cartoonists and people in, in this field talking about why we do this and how and, and where we came from. And the sort of stuff that, again, I found interesting hearing musicians or comedians or other creative people, you know, movie makers. I wanted, I wanted a show that was reflective of that kind of thing but uh, comics related. So that's how that's how this came to happen. And I know why that show didn't exist yet, because it takes a lot of time to put the show together, specifically the editing of the show. That might be because I am a little obsessive about cutting out ums and uhs and likes and stammers and long, awkward pauses so that everything sounds super smooth. So, yeah, that's on me. I'll admit it. And do I overdo it? Probably. Am I going down the road of over-explaining how this show is put together? Of course I am. Is that what I do all the time? It certainly seems that way. I also wanted to, in the making of this show, be making something. And, and you're saying, hey, wait a minute, Greg. You say at the beginning of most shows, if not every show, that you're a working cartoonist. Aren't you making stuff all the time? And by the way... What are you doing? What kind of cartoonist are you? Well, to answer that question, I'll go very quickly and just say I'm, I'm one of the regular artists on SpongeBob Comics, and then I do a bunch of work for these uh, European Spider-Man magazines. Uh, but the show sort of is making something that helps me switch gears and still feel productive, still feel like I'm, again, being creative and building something. And if it's any indication from the 17 hours of show so far, I like talking, clearly. And I've enjoyed putting the show together and hope you've enjoyed listening to it. 
and I hope that with the new Twitter account, there'll be more response and feedback and, and spreading the word and more listeners. Because listen, guys and gals, I want to blow this thing up. I want to start raking in that podcast profit, you know? All those podcast monies that you hear about because it's so uh, profitable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we enter into year two, here's uh, what's going on. First of all, no more uh, two-part episodes. I'm no longer going to split the long interviews into two parts as I've been doing. I'm going to just be planning to drop one show every month, and I'm going to try and keep, uh, you know, in general, I'm going to try and keep them at about an hour. But uh, some, like the next episode coming up, are going to be bigger, double-sized, if you will. And that's sometimes because the guest merits the double size. And uh, next show is going to, it's a big guest. I'm not going to tell you anything else about that. Now, speaking of guests, there's a second reason why this show is a special show. And that is because there is no guest. When I was conceiving of the show, I had a lot of ideas of the kinds of episodes I wanted to do. Not just me talking to people like you've heard, but, you know, maybe a show where... I just record a group of, you know, me and some friends sitting around after a convention and the kinds of conversations we have, just recording that and putting that out there. And I had an idea at one point because I, I was thinking about folks that are no longer with us. And I had this idea of, ooh, if I could interview people that knew that person and piece it together and, you know, essentially create an audio documentary, that would be really, really cool. And the fact of the matter is that would take even longer than a normal show. And not that I'm being lazy, but I guess I'm being a little lazy. I, I just don't have the, uh, the wherewithal to do that. So I'm going to combine that with another idea I had, which was the idea of just telling a, a story. Going solo, if you will. And in this case, I'm going to be talking about John Buscema and the opportunity I had and the time I had to work with him. Uh, it's a story I've told before. Uh, conventions or over meals with people and people seem to enjoy the story so I enjoy telling it or at least I enjoy the memory I enjoy I, it, it was a it was an awesome day and an awesome experience not just one single day but the entire experience and and well that's 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 what I'm going to talk about so with no more ado and no more blather from me I'm going to close out this part of the show we hear a little music the same way that uh, it happens when I have a guest, and then then, then you're going to hear me tell this story. And then I'll come back after that and, and do some uh, thank some people and do a little bit more talking. But starting right now, as I finish this little ramble bit, is uh, me talking to no one about the great John Buscema. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. On my first day at Marvel Comics, one could say I blew it. I came into the office that day. It was May of 1996. I was young. And again, it was my first day. I actually had not even met the editors I was going to be working with, Tom Brevoort and Glenn Greenberg. I'd never spoken to them. I'd flown up from Florida, and it was my first day. Get off the elevators, big Captain America there, and I'm uh, taken to... Tom and Glenn's office. Glenn might have even brought me to the office. I can't remember that detail. But what I do remember is seeing a familiar face in the hall. 
it was a face that looked familiar. Let me put it that way. And we got into the office and after introductions were made, I don't remember how long it took me to ask, but at some point I asked, who was that, who was that guy in the hall? He looked really familiar. And Glenn says, uh, oh, that was John Buscema. He's, he's retiring today's, today's, uh, he retired today. And, and there's a certain amount of, uh, shame in not realizing that it was John Buscema. And, you know, I could say, well, what would I have said to him? It was my first day as an intern. And it's not like I was going to walk up to John Buscema and say the one thing that, that would have been awesome, but you know, it still felt sort of, sort of the fool for not realizing who it was. And part of that is because if you don't know who John Buscema is, that's that's a shame. But he is responsible for How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, that book, that book that that so many young artists seem to, rightly so, find and consume. Uh, I know I did. I certainly went through it when I was in, in I would say, in elementary school. Later, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And then I know for a fact I went back to it some years later and sort of re went through the process of learning how to draw. And, and the book is incredible. I mean, it's, it's an amazing encapsulation of what makes good superhero comic art good superhero comic art, which I think that sentence makes the right sense. There's enough in there. I mean, it's, it, the blueprint is there, and you can take that information and grow and, and learn more. But in terms of a like a real baseline of how to draw comics, Marvel way or otherwise, that book is incredible. And this was the guy who was responsible for that book. And more than that, look, there are a lot of John Buscema comics, and and there are a lot of indelible images that he drew. I mean, I remember specifically. When I was growing up, we had these collections. You had your, your Origins of Marvel Comics. Uh, and we had another book called Marvel's Greatest Superhero Battles. An awesome cover, like this painterly painted thing by John Romita. But on the inside, there was a Silver Surfer issue. Uh, in hindsight, you know, I could I look it up. It's Silver Surfer issue number four is reprinted in this book. I have never read that story. But I flipped through it. So many times. It's Thor versus the Silver Surfer. Loki's in there. He's awesome. The big horns on his helmet. Like everything in it is. There's a shot of Loki just on his throne. That is. Again. It's like burned in your brain. That kind of stuff. Is so. So. Such a. Such an influence on me. Just as a comic reader. And as. As an artist. You may not see it in my work. But it's. It's all there. And. And it's funny because. In a lot of ways, I sort of think of of John Buscema as, as you know, the way people talk about Jack Kirby, which will make sense. In fact, as as I continue to tell this story, as just like a major sort of holistic influence. So there's that. There's my my first quote unquote experience with the real John Buscema. Arguments could be made that that was not an experience at all, but it's a it's a memory. When I started working at Marvel, that would have been in late October, early November of 1997, one of my fellow assistant editors down the hall, Dan Hosek, 
ended up working with John. Turns out he was coming out of retirement and Dan had called him and contacted him and hired him to do the cover art for the essential Silver Surfer, which was reprinting his his run on Silver Surfer. And it was just it was exciting. You know, we were seeing these sketches come in and I would go to the office and see what Dan had and Dan would talk to him on the phone and it was just like, oh my God, you're working with John Buscema. That's a, it's the coolest thing in the world. And it was great. It was great to just sort of be in a different office and experience it through Dan and see the, this artwork come through. And it was awesome. I mean, he's, he's, he's again, you're going to hear me say this probably too many times. He's John Buscema. It flash forward. And now, you know, John is, is no longer retired. I mean, he's not doing monthly comics, but, you know, he's, he's doing work when there is work to be done. So our office was putting together a trade paperback collection of the Avengers story under siege that John had drawn. So we contacted John about penciling a new cover for this collection. And, you know, aside from the ridiculousness of the fact that I was calling John Buscema, uh, it was kind of awesome to call John Buscema. Now, before I continue with, with the rest of this story, I when I talk about John, there are going to be points where I say things that John said. Not exact quotes. We'll call them paraphrasings. But I, I will, just because I almost feel compelled to, try and say them the way John said them. So they'll be like a like a like a really terrible impression. And I and I do this voice not in any way to to mock the man, but merely to to represent him and I do it with nothing but love and and affection and admiration for him. I just want to make that very clear. But I feel like it's important to do the the voice, the 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 inflection because there was an impression of John that you know was was I guess perpetuated? Yes, perpetuated that he was sort of over the whole thing that he's like this gruff, no nonsense guy. I mean, there was one person in the office in particular who had had bad experiences with John and, and even even said the, the never meet your idols phrase in his in, in that regard. But, you know, there was this he had a rep for for not caring for being, you know, again, over it. And I think part of that was just in the nature of how he spoke and his delivery. So I, I called him up and, and uh, you know, naturally aside from asking him about this assignment and, and he agreed to do it, I had to, I had to say something about how to draw comics to Marvel way. I mean, I couldn't look, there was going to be no way I could truly express the, the value and my appreciation for that book. And, you know, but I told him, you know, how much I loved it and how my copy was dog eared and this, that, and the other. And his response was, was great. He goes, you know, this is the you hear did you hear the slight change in the voice you know i get a nickel for every copy of that book and you know it, it was like a funny thing for him to say but it probably was pretty accurate he probably was getting about a nickel for every copy and what struck me about that was this is something he's probably heard a billion times i was not the first person to say how much they attributed or how much they loved that book and he was not he was he was nothing but gracious about the about it. I mean, he took the company, he had a joke in response, but he was not even remotely gruff or no nonsense or a jerk or any, I mean, he 
he took the compliment. We talked a little bit. He took the assignment. We were on our way. After that, we called him about doing uh, alternate cover for Avengers Forever. Avengers Forever number four had four alternate covers, naturally. And, and we got to, we got to get some good guys on there. We, and one of them was John Buscema. He did the, the Wild West cover because he liked doing that kind of thing. I mean, the fav- his favorite thing to draw was Conan the Barbarian. But he liked he he liked to draw, uh, and for one of those projects, I can't remember if it was Avengers Under Siege cover or the Avengers Forever cover. I sent him a bunch of reference, and I can't. I think it was maybe he'd sent something back. I don't remember what it was. It might have even been an invoice, uh, a voucher. I don't remember. But in this package was it might have actually just been a, a letter with just a post-it in the letter that said, Greg, please call me John. And uh, I called John up and, you know, I I don't know what this is about. There's nothing in this post-it to tell me what it's about. And I call up and and I'm like, Hey John, it's, it's Greg at Marvel. And he, uh, he starts giving me static. Hey Greg, you think, uh, you think you sent me enough reference? A little overkill on the reference. He was razzing me. He was razzing me about the reference. Anyway, here's something about these calls, though, and and again, in, in contrast to the the alleged overitness, and and not that I need to be defending the, this, but yeah, I feel like I feel like I want to. We would say, hey, uh, we're doing this Avengers cover. We're gonna have Joe Jusco paint over your. Oh, that's terrific! Joe's great. He's a great painter. Da, da, da. He was for it. Hey, John, we're thinking of having Tom Palmer ink you on this Avengers Forever. Oh, Tom Palmer does great work. That's going to look terrific. Absolutely. The man was so positive. Like he had positive positivity, positive energy about all this work. He wasn't, he wasn't precious about it. He wasn't a diva. This is a guy who had every right to be precious about it and a diva. He could have said, I want to ink it myself. No, no. He was in. He was in for whatever we had in mind. The next thing we worked on was... A fill-in issue of Thor, Thor number nine, and part of the job of the assistant editor, well, editorial in general, is to is to check on your writers and your artists and see where they're at and see how they're they're managing the deadlines and that sort of thing. I remember working with Al Williamson, who was inking, I think he was even inking Steve Epting at the time, and calling to check on him and him giving me a, not a lecture, but sort of just saying like I've never missed a deadline. Deadline is the thing, and sort of learning from these old school guys. How, how, you know, you don't have to babysit them. They know what they're doing. They've been doing this for a while. So I was, I was pretty hands off with John. I, I wasn't checking in every week like I might have done with other people. But after a few weeks, as we approached the deadline, we were maybe like three or four days away from, from the deadline for this issue. And he hadn't seen any pages. Like typically an artist would send in a few pages a week or whatever the case may be. Uh, I called up John just to, you know, to check in. We we're getting close to the deadline. I wanted to see how how he was doing, and I pick up the phone. I ring, ring. He answers, and before I could even ask about the pages, he's on it. Oh, you worried about me, huh? No, John, I'm not worried. I just you know, I wanted to check in. We're ca- I'm gonna come in tomorrow. I'm bringing the pages tomorrow. What? What's that, John? Yeah, yeah, the book's done. I'm gonna come in tomorrow. Drop the pages off. Really, you're gonna come in? You could you could FedEx them. No, no, I'm gonna come in. I'll be there tomorrow with the whole book. So John Buscema, 
is showing up. He's coming into the office. He's going to show up. He's going to bring in 22 pages of comics that he's penciled. And, you know, yeah. I mean, certainly unexpected, but you cannot say that it... it I mean, that's... Uh, I was excited. So John comes in, and I go to greet him at the door. And as much as he's a, a real human being, there's something that is larger than life. I mean, he was a big guy. There was something larger than life about him. But he was a big guy. He was a substantial man. He wasn't he wasn't like a big giant, but he had like big hands and a firm handshake and he had the awesome you know, that goatee and silver hair. He was he had posture the whole nine yards. He he had a, a commanding presence. And maybe it was just because I was a bit uh, awestruck by the fact that it was John Buscema, but no, he was he was no he was no joke. He was no slouch. I bring him into the office and we takes the pages out and they look awesome. I mean, they're great. They're John Buscema pencils. They're, it's Thor. It's all this great stuff. And we're going through them. We're talking about them. And what's even more amazing than the pages themselves is on the backs of the pages. And this is not news for people that know about John Buscema. But he would draw his warm-up drawings or as he was working, he had just a notion of a thing. He'd turn the board over and he would doodle or sketch or take out a brush and uh, work up a little doodle. A lot of cowboys, a lot of like pretty ladies, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Things like that. Just your random boards would have these drawings on the backs. It's funny because, uh, well, I don't know if it's funny, but it's a shame because I have a full set of photocopies of the pencils of that issue. I did not pay, uh, photocopy any of the backs of the boards. So that's my loss. I'm a chump. I'll take it. So so we go through all these pages and uh, and then I go, you know, uh, let me let me take you around, John. Let me show you uh, around the office. He goes, where's Ralph sit? I want to see Ralph. So so we go down to Ralph Macchio's office and we hung out in there for a little while and that was cool because you know Ralph Ralph was certainly a guy who who dished it out and and John uh, brought it. I mean, I don't think Ralph had any any power over John Buscema, nor should he have. And and we sat around, we talked about boxing. I remember talking about boxing and I remember learning that John Buscema, who at the time was 71, maybe 72 years old, was still lifting weights. And if my memory, this is a little hazy, but if my memory serves, I think he said he was benching somewhere around, if not more than 200 pounds on a bench press. That's impressive. I don't know. Any way you slice it, that's impressive. Even if he's not 70 years old, 70 plus. From there, we kept going down the hall. We stopped at Bobby Chase and Brian Smith's office. You, who you may know as Smitty from having heard me talk to him on this this very podcast, and and that was cool because Smitty's wife's aunt, so aunt in law, I guess, knew John or knew John's wife, knew John's family because they were neighbors out on Long Island. So we talked about that a little bit and how the you know small world type stuff, and that was, you know, aside from just having the here's the script, thanks for the pages kind of interactions, it was. You know, people, people talking like people do. And then at one point I said to, to John, I'm like, all right, so if we go down this way, we can say hi to uh, blank. And I'm saying blank because I don't, uh, I'm protecting, you know, the names of, of certain people because what happened next, I'll never forget it. Uh, John stopped and I looked at him and he, his face went to a very stern, like the mouth sort of turned down. And he put up his index finger and he moved it right and left. In sort of a very definitive way, they said, no, not him. 
So the tour took a turn. <laughs> I went and, uh, and interested people in the bullpen, walked him around. And and at a certain point during or, or as the sort of grand tour, as it were, was ending, John says, uh, so are we going to eat something? Got to get some, we're going to get some lunch or something. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. What do you, what do you want to eat? We can go, you can get this, you get, I don't care. I'll eat a sandwich. I, I haven't eaten anything since, uh, since five in the morning. So <laughs> of course let's, let's get lunch with, with John Buscema. So uh, Tom Brevoort, myself, John Buscema and, and our intern at the time, Jeff Castro, who I don't know where Jeff is, but I, I can only hope he realizes what his fortune was to be there at the time. We all go, we leave the offices at 28th and Park and walk over to the Lexington Diner on 28th and Lex, which sadly is no longer there. It was a fine diner, but we sat at a booth. I'm John and I are sitting across from each other and we're eating burgers and we're having a fine time. And at one point, John looks at me and he says, uh, so is this what you want to do? Be an editor? And... You know, the hindsight of the thing is funny because Tom was sitting right there and he was an editor. Uh, but he was asking me, you know, is this what you want to do? Is this your is this your thing? And I said, you know, actually, John, I, I, I want to draw. You want to do what you do. I want to write and draw comics. Or I want to draw and write comics. And he goes, oh, yeah, you got any, uh, you got anything you can show me? You got any work back at the office? And and it so happens I did. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I, I can show you stuff when we get back. Great, great. And then things get a little hazy there because I'm like, holy crap. But I'm 90% sure John paid for lunch, even though we tried to not make that happen. Uh, he was, I seem to remember him being very insistent. So we go back to the office. And now John Buscema, the guy who ostensibly and literally wrote the book on how to draw comics the Marvel way, was looking at a Marvel comic that I drew and he was going to, I don't know, he was going to say something about how I did. And he's hes looking at it. And I'm at my desk and he's on the couch in our office. And he's like, this is good. This is good. But come over here. So I, I go over to where he is and looking over his shoulder. And he's showing me on one of my pages. This was an issue of, of what if. What if 114. He's showing me one of the pages. And he's pointing at the panel. He's like, it's good. But look what you got going here. And he's showing me. He's moving his hand. Like like a karate chop motion, up and down, up and down, straight, vertical, up and down. It's like, all your panels are doing this. All you got to do, and he holds his hand out and turns it like 25 degrees to the left. He's like, you just got to turn it. You just got to turn it. Basically saying, like, it's all fine. But if you just do this little thing to your composition, this tiny, this tiny adjustment, you, you're going to be making comics. They're going to be better. And uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, aside from him saying the stuff looks pretty good, just getting that kind of a comment, that kind of feedback. And, and to be truthful, uh, to this day, I, I look at pages and I go, all right, where can I turn it? Where can I just give it that extra tweak? But after that, he went into this sort of, I mean, rant is probably the wrong word for it, but he went into this thing about uh, Jack Kirby and how you know, the, the brilliance and genius of Jack Kirby and how everything he did was just aping and imitating Jack Kirby. Whenever he ran into a uh, problem, he'd just look at Kirby, look at Kirby, everything he did, just look at Kirby. It was kind of, that also, if I keep saying it over and again, was awesome. And here's what I learned from all this is uh, he loved this stuff. He loved drawing. He loved drawing the characters, the storytelling, 
the environment. He, he had a, and he had a passion for comics. You could see it in the way he talked about it. But at the same time, he recognized that it was a job. You know, one of the things we talked about when I was walking around with him and showing him around is that he worked in advertising. You know, he, he'd done some comics, but then he went into advertising when there wasn't that much comics work and made his way back into, into the Marvel fold when, when Marvel sort of found it's, it's got its groove back in the sixties. But, you know, he was saying how in advertising, you know, you draw, you have to draw to, to earn your money and it's a job and the deadlines are important. And, you know, you don't get to draw the things you want, but you're drawing and more than anything, it's a job. And you do the job based on the parameters of the job. You don't do the job the way you want to do it. You do it, you know, whether it's the editors, what the editor wants or what the art director or whatever the case may be. So he was a, he was a professional. But he was a professional that loved his work. Like you don't retire and unretire or come into the office to physically drop off pages and powwow with people or take the time to look at the work of, of some goofy idol worshiping assistant editor, you know, or talk passionately about Jack Kirby. Or actually one of the things he did was we were talking, we, you know, I'd mentioned John Amita Jr. or, or the Kubert brothers like, oh, those guys, you hate them, right? They're so good. They're so good. Like you can't, that's somebody that cares. That's somebody that, that is paying attention and cares. So I dispute the claims that he was over it or didn't care. No way. Like he did in that hallway as I was giving him the tour. I will put out my th index finger and move it right and left. Nope. Not him. He cared. He cared. Uh, he cared. And I loved working with him. I mean, that day, that day still stands as my number one top day working at Marvel Comics. I was there for about two and a half years. And, and that, that ranks over, you know, finally getting Mike Mignola to do a job after calling him every six months for a couple of years or, or nearly knocking Jerry Seinfeld over as I barreled down the hall and shaking his hand nervously. Or uh, you know, when Carlos Pacheco came from Spain and, and spent a few days, although that, that one ranks up there. I'm not going to lie. Those were, those were good times. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to those in another show. Anyway, he left the offices that day around 2.30 or 3 o'clock, I'd say. And I came back to the offices and I was done. I mean, I think I even told Tom, I'm like, listen, I'm calling it a day because I'm not, I'm not coming out of that. And, and Tom, I, you know, I think Tom got it because he just sort of let me hang. Uh, you know, I eventually composed myself and, and got back to business. But it was, it was awesome. I mean, that, that day was... Well, I just said it, so I don't have to keep repeating myself. It was a it was a few years later. I had already left Marvel uh, when we learned that that John was was sick, and then not long after that, that he, he passed away. You know, we we found out that he had stomach cancer, but was told that not he didn't want calls or letters or whatever. So so we respected that. Uh, but when he passed away, Smitty and I. Because we'd both worked with him and, and through his in-law knowing the Buscemas and being neighbors and stuff, uh, we went we went out to his wake, one of the days of the wake, which, which you know, as an aside for me as a, as a Jewish person, I'd never been to something like that. So it had its own sort of other otherworldliness to it, I guess. That's probably the wrong word. But it was weird. It was weird to see him. He was no longer that sort of bear of a man. I, I saw, you know, 
four or so years earlier. Uh, but it was it was him, and and you know I felt honored to be able to to pay my respects and to have had the opportunity to work with him and and had that day with him and, and that experience. You know, and many years later, or a number of years later, I I saw that there was a Stephanie Buscema working as an assistant editor at DC Comics and. I remember emailing the editor she was working with and asking, like, is she, is she related to John? Like, is that the same, you know, is that the Buscema line? He says, uh, he said, yeah, it was. And as a matter of fact, she was actually leaving her job as an assistant editor to become a, a full-time freelance illustrator doing, doing her work. And, and, you know, I couldn't help but think back to that, that lunch where over burgers, he looked at me and said, "Is this what you want to do? Be an editor?" And uh, you know, I've never, I've never met, or I haven't yet met Stephanie Buscema, but I can't help but think, like, good for you, you know. And and you know, in reflecting on that launch, like he probably would have been uh, pretty pleased with that move too, which is completely presumptuous of me to even say that or think that. But anyway. It's a thought. It's a thought that occurred to me, and I thought it was relevant. I'm going to close with this. Here's how much John loved to draw. On our office door, Tom and I on our door. We, you know, you people would put stuff on their doors. On our door, somebody had given us an ad. I think it was somebody in the office, but I can't remember. An ad for a brazier, the Marvel Comfort Bra. This had nothing to do with Marvel Comics, but this was the name of this bra, and it was a, it was a standard standard. It was a bra ad. It was a woman, you know, from from the sort of mid mid waist up, and she was wearing a white bra. And it said Marvel Comfort Bra and a bunch of stuff. And it was up on our door. The day John came up to the offices, he took out a pen and just drew on that ad. On one uh, cup of the bra, he drew Spider-Man's head. On the other cup, he drew a grinning, what I believe to be Conan the Barbarian. And and under those, he wrote the names Giuseppe and Tanuzo, or Tanuzzo. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And it's completely ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous and amazing. And in case you're asking, yes, you're damn right. I still have that ad. And I have the post-it note that says, Greg, please call me John. John Buscema was the best. take some time now and thank some folks in light of this uh, occasion the first birthday of stuff said i want to thank all the people who have been guests on the show so far and guests to come some of those some of those conversations are already in the can awaiting my editing which again that's the tedious part make everybody sound crispy clean and sharp among those guests i, I want to Special thanks to Chris Giruso, who was my first guest, first person to sit at the chair and, and go through the process with me. And, and also, uh, he's, been, he's been very helpful with feedback. Every now and again, I'll send him a clip and say, uh, how's, this, how's this sounding? And he's good like that. Uh, I want to thank, big thanks, to Craig Chin. Craig Chin is the guy responsible for the theme song that plays at the beginning of each episode. And he was also a really big help early on with with the, uh, the mechanics of recording 
and what kind of equipment to get and how to go about doing this thing. So I thank him. I thank uh, the gang at Acme Comics and the Acme Wave Projector who were super encouraging and put me on their on their network, uh, acmewaveprojector.com. And all the other people who do podcasts that I enjoy that helped me sort of key in to what it was I, I wanted to do with this. I, I am no broadcaster by any means, but, you know, I think, I think we're doing all right job. And you can let me know how I'm doing and how the first year went and what you want to see more of or less of as, as time goes on. You can email me. Stuff said at gmail.com. You can leave comments on the website, stuffsaidshow.com. And on that website, there's all kinds of, uh, in the show notes, there's bonus stuff. I put up art, I put up audio clips. Every now and again, I embed a video. I'm tell you, there's more, there's more to this uh, machine. There's more, to, there's more going on than that. And, and as I said at the beginning, I'm on Twitter. Well, not, I'm, not me. Stuff said is on Twitter. Yes, I will be uh, the person tweeting, but I'll be I'll be in, in the in the guise of stuff said. Stuff said show is the Twitter handle there. The next show is the first of, of the next run for the year. It's a big one. It's a guest who whose name has come up many times uh, on on this show, especially early on. So it was exciting to to get him. There's a clue to sit down and talk and we talked for a while uh, and and that show will be coming up next more shows to come less for me to say now thanks again to my guests for giving me their time coming coming to me or, or letting me into their homes or wherever we recorded oh blabber blabber blah 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 that's about all the stuff I have left to say see you next time Tomorrow, you're younger, you're older than you were yesterday. We hope your mother's beauty is you came out of a uterus. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy, happy birthday.